our scripture reading. We will read a few verses from Acts chapter 5 and also from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Acts 5, the verses 1 through 11. Hear the word of God. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it, and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit, and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God." When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in and found her dead, they, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. And then we turn to Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, in chapter 2. beginning at verse 6, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 6. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. 
The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So far, our scripture reading. As we prepare to listen to God's word, let us sing together from Psalm 139, stanzas 1, 4, and 5. This afternoon I may proclaim to you the word of God as the church summarizes and as we confess it in Lord's Day 20 concerning what we believe about the Holy Spirit. Let's read that Lord's Day together. Here the church confesses what do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit. First, he is together with the Father and the Son, true and eternal God. Second, he is also given to me to make me, by true faith, share in Christ and all his benefits to comfort me and to remain with me forever. After the proclamation of God's word, we will sing our Amen to that word by singing from hymn 47. Stanzas 1, 2, and 3. Brothers and sisters, in our Lord Jesus Christ, in Lord's Day 20... We begin to deal with what we confess in particular concerning the Holy Spirit. It's, it's not a very long Lord's Day. And of course, the question might come up, why are there so many Lord's Days about the work of God the Father and our creation, about the work of God the Son and our redemption, but there's just this one Lord's Day about God the Holy Spirit. But a question like that would be based on a misunderstanding of the Apostles' Creed and also of the Catechism. The heading above Lord's Day 20 tells us that this is not just this Lord's Day, but the following Lord's Days are about the work of the Holy Spirit and our sanctification. And that work includes the church gathering work of Christ, the communion of saints and the forgiveness of sins as described in Lord's Day 21. It also includes what we confess concerning the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, but it certainly doesn't end there. The rest of the catechism is also about the work of the Spirit. Lord's Days 23 and 24, for example, speak about faith and how righteousness is applied to us through faith. And as we confess in Lord's Day 7, faith is the work of the Holy Spirit. Furthermore, the work of the Spirit is certainly not absent from what we confess concerning baptism and the Lord's Supper. And when we get to Lord's Day 32 and following, which deals how we are to show our thankfulness to God for our salvation, a thankfulness that reveals itself through prayer and through, through the fruits of the Spirit, living according to the commandments, no one will deny, of course, that this too is the work of the Holy Spirit. I say all of this to to show that anyone who claims that our confessions do not emphasize the work of the Spirit, those, those claims are clearly misinformed. You cannot separate the work of the Spirit from any part of our salvation. In fact, it would be correct to say that the Spirit 
is involved in the work of the Father and the Son as well. He is involved in our creation, our recreation, and our sanctification. And so this afternoon I may proclaim to you the word of God concerning what we believe about the Holy Spirit. And we will consider three things, that he is divine. Secondly, in connection with 1 Corinthians 2, he makes known to us the depths of God. And in the third place, he is given to us for our comfort. The Holy Spirit is often wrongly regarded as simply a force or a power. And so it's good that the catechism makes us pause and think about the identity of the Holy Spirit. We confess that he is together with the Father and the Son, true and eternal God. He is a divine person who not only proceeds from the Father and the Son, but he is independently divine. In the Athanasian Creed, we confess the Father is eternal, the Son is eternal, the Holy Spirit is eternal. So the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit, then, is no less a distinct person in the Trinity than the Father or the Son. He is a person who exists from eternity. He witnesses to God's church via the Word of God. He dwells in each and every believer and makes us into temples of the Lord. Scripture tells us that it is possible to sin against the Holy Spirit. It is possible also to grieve Him. And since he is a person of the Trinity, we believe in him no less than we believe in the Father or the Son. In our confession, we already covered that aspect concerning the doctrine of the Trinity. In Lord's Day 8, we confess already that the Holy Spirit is true and eternal God. In Lord's Day 20, however, the emphasis falls on the word together. The Holy Spirit is together with the Father and the Son, true and eternal God. That implies that the Trinity is not complete without the Holy Spirit. The divine being who who has revealed himself to us in the Bible is not complete without the person of the Spirit. So it is unthinkable for a Christian to believe in God as only Father and Son. It is only together with the Spirit that they form one true and eternal God whom we love and adore. You could say the Holy Spirit completes the divine family. And this, brothers and sisters, is really what characterizes the Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. He is the completer. He is the one who fills and fulfills. For example, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit filled the room where the disciples were gathered with the sound of a mighty rushing wind. Then the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit and with his power. This, this is the kind of completing and fulfilling work that the Holy Spirit is known for throughout Scripture. We find evidence of that already in Genesis chapter 1, in the work of creation. Already before God completed the six days of creation, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. He was fully involved in this divine work. He was there and he was involved when God said, Let there be light. He was involved when God formed man from the dust of the earth and breathed into him the breath of life. So whenever scripture refers to the work of the Holy Spirit in connection with creation, it is evident that he is the one who completes and fills the work of God. You could say he adds the finishing touches. The Spirit gives life to what is created. He brings order out of chaos. That's reflected in Scripture as well. For example, Psalm 33, verse 6. 
By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. And Psalm 104 tells us that when God sends his spirit, he renews the face of the ground. He is the one who causes the abundance of of springtime growth, the fresh green grass, the, the budding leaves on the trees. He makes life appear. He teaches young birds how to sing and and the baby deer how to run and frolic, all to the praise of their creator. Again and again, Scripture articulates that it is the Spirit who gives life and order to the things that are created. He creates beauty, and He gives us the ability to also create beauty ourselves and to recognize it. This was evident in the Old Testament when God appointed two men, Bezalel and Aholiab, to decorate the tabernacle. He so filled them with the Holy Spirit that they were able to do all the work that God required of them to make this building a beautiful place for God to dwell in. So all true beauty in this world finds its source in the Holy Spirit. And of course, this is true in a much higher sense when it comes to the area of grace. In the prophecy of Isaiah, we read that people become more fruitful by the Spirit of God. We read there, when the Spirit is poured on us from on high, and the desert becomes a fertile field, and the fertile field seems like a forest. From this, we understand that the Holy Spirit brings life, order, beauty, and creativity not only to creation, but also to the human mind and the human soul. He not only brings about new life through recreation, by regenerating us, but he brings our life to a, to a higher level. In fact, he raises our life to the highest level possible. When he comes into our life, then the ugliness and the dominance of sin disappears. Instead, our lives begin to shine with the glory of grace. And the Holy Spirit cleanses our hearts and He sanctifies our lives. He gives us the desire to serve God and to serve our neighbor and for the right reasons. He takes our focus away from ourselves so that we are able to enjoy the goodness and the love of God. Without the the Spirit, we would be spiritually dead, as Paul writes in Romans 6. So the Spirit then destroys the dominance of sin and Satan in our lives. He turns the disorder and the death of our natural selves into order and life. Because when He works in you, when He works in you, you cannot remain what you once were. When the Spirit works in you, then you will be renewed and you will be refined and you will be polished by His power. Just as the Lord Jesus taught and comforted and encouraged his disciples when he lived on earth with them, so the Holy Spirit teaches and comforts and encourages us in our Christian life. This is the purpose for which he was sent. This is why he he came. And furthermore, the Holy Spirit truly is God. He is eternally God. He is not merely a force sent from God, but he is God himself. We confess in the Athanasian Creed that there are not three gods but one. And all three persons of the Trinity are equal in glory, equal in majesty, equal in power. They are co-eternal and co-equal. 
Think, for example, of the story that we read from Acts chapter 5 about Ananias and Sapphira. Peter asks Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And then during that conversation, he tells Ananias, you have not lied to man, but to God. In other words, when you are lying to the Holy Spirit, you are lying to God. And because he is God, we are also baptized into the name of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is the one from whom we receive the promise that he will dwell in us, that he will make us a living member of Christ. He will unite us to Christ by faith. That's his promise. He is the one who builds us into the house of God. He takes us, who are individual stones, and he he shapes us, and he molds us, and he carves us, and he cuts off the excess pieces so that we fit together into one house. And so we see that his work is not yet complete. Someday when the new earth and the new heaven come together, then his work will be complete. When all sin has been taken out of God's creation, then he will resurrect us and give us glorified bodies. Just as in creation, he will be taking what is here and he will, be, he will beautify it. He will glorify it. He will give order to his creation by connecting us to himself, the greatest source of life. And then we will see the beauty of creation restored the way it should be. And so we see that together with the Father and Son, He is true and eternal God. Together. That's the most beautiful and glorious harmony there is between the three persons of the Trinity. You know, the harmony and cooperation between humans, that gets messed up a lot on this earth. It gets shipwrecked over and over again. And that's because we seek our own honor and our own glory. But the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are constantly seeking each other's glory. They are seeking to glorify one another. Jesus said, the Spirit will glorify me. So the Spirit glorifies the Son, and the Son in turn glorifies the Father. In his high priestly prayer in John 17, Christ said, Father, I have glorified you. And the Father in turn glorifies the Son. In that same prayer, Jesus said, glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. And so when we read in Scripture, each of you should look to the interest of others. God himself is the perfect example of how we should fulfill that command. And this is something then that continuously occupies the triune God. The Father is the source of our life. The Son has acquired life for us. And the Holy Spirit is the giver and the renewer of our life. He is our teacher, he is our comforter, our encourager, and our counselor. He makes all things new. And so his presence is truly the most wonderful gift from God. We come to the second point. The Holy Spirit makes known to us the depths of God. We have heard quite a bit already about the work of the Holy Spirit, but I would like to focus our attention this afternoon on yet another aspect of his work. From our reading in 1 Corinthians 2, we, read, we, we heard that the Holy Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Well, in the first place, that means, of course, that the Spirit knows who God is and that he knows the heart of God. He knows God's plans and he knows the counsel and the will of God. 
That is something that no human can know because as we confess in Belgian Confession, Article 1, for example, God is incomprehensible. Paul compares this to how well a person knows himself. He writes, who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. But what then is so marvelous and completely astounding about the work of the Holy Spirit is that he makes known to us what lives in the heart of God. That's really something. That's really something special. Because in verse 7 of that chapter already, Paul mentions that the wisdom of God is something that is ordinarily hidden from human beings. And if God had it in, intended that his wisdom would always remain hidden, then it would be. We would never find out about it. If that was God's intent, we would never know him or about him. We would never know about his counsel. We would never understand anything about his work. God's plans are so high that his thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways. His wisdom is something that no eye has seen nor ear heard nor the heart of man imagined. Verse 9. In fact, we can go so far as to say that if, even if anyone had imagined God's wisdom, if you or I had imagined God's wisdom, we would just shake our head and say, well, that's unimaginable. I don't believe it anyway. That's too unbelievable to be true. And that is because the wisdom of God is foolishness to men. And what then is the wisdom of God which the Spirit reveals to us? Well, we have that answer in verse 2 of that chapter. It is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That tells us what lives in the heart of God. God has a great love in His heart for the world. While the world lived in sin and rebellion, God sent His Son into that very same world. And that Son came to live in this sin-filled world. Not just to live, but to die for sinners. That's how much God cared for the salvation of His people. He let His Son become a man. He led Him to Bethlehem, and then to Jerusalem, and then to Golgotha. To bleed, and to die naked, hanging between two criminals. That's the wisdom of God. That's the wisdom that has freed us from our sin. That is the gospel. That's the good news which the Holy Spirit reveals to us. Because without Him, we would not know that. That's the gospel that lives in the heart of God. That's the gospel that also dwells in the Holy Spirit because He is God too. He knows God's plans and God's will and He is the one who makes this known to us. He drove the prophets to speak about this and to write about this and to record and preserve God's word. And the Holy Spirit has ensured that God's word has been preserved for us. And today he illuminates our hearts and our minds so we can understand these scriptures. 2,000 years ago he inspired the apostles and other New Testament writers to to, to write down this good news about Jesus Christ. And he loosened the tongues of the apostles so that they would proclaim this news to Jews and Gentiles. And he has also made it possible for us to hear this good news. But he does more. He not only reveals what is in the heart of God, 
but he also works that truth in our hearts. And for that, we need to be equally grateful. You see, revealing the gospel isn't enough. There are plenty of people who hear the gospel and know the Bible quite well, but they don't believe. It was that way in the time of the apostles too. Right? The cross is foolishness to Greeks and a stumbling block to Jews. But the Holy Spirit, He works faith in our hearts so that we believe what we hear, so that we believe what is revealed from the heart of God. And this is uh, so accurately and wonderfully summarized in the Canons of Dort, <clears throat> chapter 3, 4, article 11. And I quote, He that is the Spirit takes care that the gospel is preached to them and powerfully enlightens their minds. He, he enlightens their minds by the Holy Spirit so that they may rightly understand and discern the things of the Spirit of God by the efficacious working, that is the, the effective working of the same regenerating spirit. He also penetrates into the innermost recesses of man. He opens the closed and softens the hard heart, circumcises that which was uncircumcised, and instills new qualities into the will. He makes the will which was dead, alive, which was bad, good, which was unwilling, willing, which was stubborn, obedient. He moves and strengthens it so that like a good tree, it may be able to produce the fruit of good works. That is how the Holy Spirit goes to work in us. So that people who don't want to believe come to understand and believe the good news of Christ crucified for sinners. And brothers and sisters, that's encouraging for all of us. It is encouraging that the Holy Spirit is the one who goes to work in us. It's encouraging in all kinds of situations. It's encouraging for office bearers, for example, who know their own weaknesses. And yet the Holy Spirit wants to use us for His work. It's encouraging for parents who are called to raise their children in the fear of the name of the Lord. Right? Because as parents, we, we mess up. We mess up in the way we discipline our children. We don't always know what's best for them. And we certainly cannot give them faith. How good it is then to know that it is the Spirit who works also in our children. He is the one who works faith in the hearts of our children. Of course, we have to be faithful in our task as, as office bearers or as parents or wherever God has placed us. But we may rest assured that, it is, that our weaknesses will not and cannot stop the Holy Spirit from accomplishing His work in God's people and in our children. And that's really true for each and every one of us. The Holy Spirit works faith in us in spite of who we are, not because of who we are. He produces the fruits of faith in us in spite of who we are. And then He even wants to use us in His kingdom work. That's encouraging too, isn't it? He wants to work in you and with you, and He wants to use you in the kingdom of God. He wants to use you for the advancement of God's kingdom and for building up the communion of saints. And all that in spite of the fact that you are a believer with many weaknesses. What that means then is that God doesn't simply leave us to ourselves. If it were up to us, we would never believe. 
If it were up to us, the wisdom of God would always remain foolishness. And the law of God would just be something that inhibits our fun. It's annoying. But thanks be to God, the Holy Spirit does not leave us to our sinful selves. He ensures that we hear the, the word of God, that we hear the preaching of His word, that we're taught His word in catechism class, and He remains with us. He doesn't just speak to us on Sunday and then leave us to ourselves for the rest of the week. We confess in Lord's Day 20, He has given to me to remain in me forever. He remains in me to sanctify me and to work God's word into my heart so that I am more and more conformed into the image of my Savior. And that is our comfort. That's also our last point. He is given to us to comfort us. And that's comfort in the biblical sense of the word, congregation. In the biblical sense, comfort has to do with what happens when you face a judge in the court of law. In the court of law, the task of the judge or the lawyer is, is to make sure that the truth comes out, that the truth is revealed. And the truth that the Holy Spirit reveals is the truth of the gospel. It's the truth that by faith you are a child of God. The truth that he reveals is that you may call upon God as your father no matter what circumstances you find yourself in. And the comforting work of the Holy Spirit is also that he assures you of your faith. He makes you live as a child of God. Because by his power, he applies to us what Christ has accomplished on the cross. You see, it's not enough that Christ died and rose again. Just like water cannot quench your thirst if you can't reach it or if you don't drink it. So Christ's work does not benefit us if it's not applied to us because we can't apply it to ourselves. It is the Holy Spirit who brings us into contact with Christ by faith. He makes us hungry for the bread of life, and He feeds us that bread of life. And He makes us hungry for living water, and He gives us that living water. And He takes those rich treasures of salvation, the forgiveness of sins, the freedom from God's wrath, and He passes them on to us. He gives them to us. He opens our ears so that we can hear the gospel and He opens our hearts so that we can understand it. And He fills us with the love of God so that we become willing to serve our Lord and our Savior. He makes us share in Christ and all His benefits. And He is our helper and He's our advocate. What Christ did for His disciples while He was on earth, the Holy Spirit does for us now. Through the power of the Word of God, the Spirit draws our attention to Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Why? Because Christ is the answer. He is the answer to all of our problems. Through Him your sins are paid for. Through Him you are reconciled to God. Through Him you are safe for all eternity. And He assures us of eternal life. And as we confess in Lord's Day 1, makes us heartily willing and ready to live for God forever. And that is so important and so comforting. One day the work of the Spirit in us and for us will be completed when we live on the new earth with our Lord and Savior. But now we still live on this side of eternity. In the words of Lord's Day 19, in a world that is still full of sorrow and persecution. 
We have to fight against all kinds of temptations and sins. And sometimes we have to battle very particular sins. Often those are sins which the world says, nah, go ahead, just do that. Sometimes we're even told by people that we know, don't worry so much. It's not such a big deal. Or sometimes our own hearts whisper to us that certain sins are not so bad. And then it can feel as if the fight against sin is, very, is a very lonely battle. And yet, brothers and sisters, those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we stand in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is your strength. The Bible tells us, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. And He equips us. The Spirit equips us with the armor of God, with the breastplate of righteousness, with the gospel of peace, with the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And He helps us live according to that Word. He renews our lives and gives us the will to serve our God. So God doesn't leave us to ourselves. He gives me His Holy Spirit to dwell in me and to give me faith so that I share in Christ and all His benefits. The Holy Spirit is given to me to comfort me and to remain in me forever. Again, I quote from the Canons of Dort, which says, This is clearly a supernatural, most powerful, and at the same time a most delightful, marvelous, mysterious, and inexpressible work. And God does this work in us and for us, for His glory. May He then also receive All thanks and praise for this inexpressible gift. Amen.